0: In his widely read and beloved classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis introduces us to a land covered in snow. The days are short, cold, and overcast. No, he did not introduce us to Minnesota. This land is called Narnia. In Lewis's story, a young girl from our world, Lucy, happens upon Narnia. In Narnia, she meets and befriends a fawn named Mr. Tumnus. He tells Lucy that it is winter in Narnia. But Mr. Tumnus explains that in Narnia, it is always winter, but never Christmas. But there is a hope in Narnia. As the story goes on, Lucy and her siblings who eventually enter Narnia along with her learn of Aslan from Mr. Beaver. Aslan, a lion, is the creator and savior of Narnia. The hope of the Narnians is in his return. In this story, the hope of the Narnians is not merely that their circumstances will change and winter ends. The hope of the Narnians is not merely that spring will come. Their hope is in the return of Aslan himself, who will save them from their cursed world. Their hope is that Aslan will return and free them from their affliction. There are seasons of life where we feel like our souls are going through a winter without Christmas. We are afflicted in many ways. Our souls and our circumstances seem dark, cold, and dreary. Can you relate? We are afflicted financially. Our budgets are tight. Inflation is crazy high. Things break and need replacing. Don't even try buying a house right now with these interest rates. We are afflicted professionally, along with the general conflict that always surrounds work Now we have to worry about personal pronouns and vaccine mandates. Some of us are going through major transition with our career or we're just starting out in our career. Some are or have recently changed professions. We are afflicted relationally. We are estranged from our parents, children or siblings. We have conflict relationally with our colleagues and neighbors. We are in constant conflict with our spouse. We are afflicted by our own sin. Women nag, manipulate, and shame. Men are frustrated, angry, and distant. Children are obstinate and disobedient. We are harsh with our children. We are addicts to lust, envy, gossip, greed, alcohol, anger, and the list goes on. We are afflicted by sickness and death. My family has been sick now for two weeks straight. With all the coughing that's been going on, I feel like I'm living in a tuberculosis sanatorium. (sighs) You laugh because you understand. Some in our church are afflicted by chronic illness and pain, cancer, and all sorts of maladies. We are experiencing death all the time. We received notice this last week of our dear sister's uh, mother's passing. The passing of our dear brother, Pastor Johnson, this last summer. This month marks the two-year anniversary of the death of my best friend. My mother texted me while I was writing this sermon that her aunt passed away. And now this morning, even this morning, we hear of our dear sister's passing to be with the Lord And we're sad for ourselves, but glory be to God for her salvation. She is with the Lord, and that's glorious. But we are constantly afflicted with sickness and death. We are afflicted also because of our faith in Christ. We are shamed, passed up for a job or a promotion. We are persecuted, censored, silenced, doxed, and hated for our faith. When we are dealing with affliction, it can feel like it is always winter and never Christmas. Whenever we experience any kind of affliction, we typically ask one question, or at least I'm tempted to ask one question, why? Why do I need to experience this? Why am I going through this? Is there a reason why I'm afflicted in this way? I guess the question we are really asking is this. Is there a purpose to my affliction? Is there a reason why I am being afflicted? The answer we receive from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is, yes, there is a purpose to our affliction. And you can turn there with me, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. It gives us at least three reasons for our affliction. Three reasons for our affliction. Before we continue on, Let me pause for a moment of prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we are afflicted and pressed down. We are we are pushed in and pressed in from all sides. Lord, even now there are things that are constantly in our mind which are hindering us from hearing from your word. Even this morning, we get word of yet more affliction to ourselves and to our church. Lord, because of our sin, it's hard to hear from you sometimes. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds to hear the truth of your word from 2 Corinthians right now. Not just that we would hear it, but that we would believe it. Not just that we would believe it, but that we would act upon it. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, the first reason for our affliction that I see is for the comfort and salvation of others. We are afflicted for the comfort and salvation of others. We see this multifaceted reason in verses 3 through 7. Let me read it for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are partners in our sufferings, so also you are in our comfort. What do we learn about comfort in the midst of affliction in this passage? Well, first, the origin of comfort is God himself. He is denoted as the God of all comfort in verse 3. I want to spend a little time on this point because it will help anchor our belief and our trust that our affliction is for the comfort and salvation of others. In the Old Testament, we see God's comfort and compassion clearly displayed in the exodus of God's people from Egypt. This morning we read from Exodus chapters 2 and 3 where God saw the affliction, he heard of their oppression, and he acts to comfort his people. In Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14, the psalmist says, Just as as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our form, he is mindful that we are nothing but dust. So we see God in the Old Testament comforts his people in their affliction and weakness. What is interesting is that all three persons of the Godhead are identified with comfort. In Isaiah 51, 12, God the Father says of him himself through the prophet, I, I myself am he who comforts you. And again in Isaiah 66, 13, he says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And, will be, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Jesus call, is called the consolation of Israel in Luke 2.25. Consolation here is the same Greek word that is used in our passage for comfort. And of course, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter in John 14.26. Jesus says he would send the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. The comfort of the believer is a Trinitarian work. If we look at it through a biblical theological lens. And Paul here says that all comfort comes from this Trinitarian God. He is the God of all comfort. The origin of biblical comfort is God himself. Comfort is a major theme in this passage. The word is used ten times in just these few verses. So before we go any further, we should probably understand what is meant by the word comfort. When I say the word comfort, what comes to your mind? Do you think of food? When you are sad or stressed or anxious, a nice piece of moist chocolate cake or fresh baked cherry pie might comfort you? Do you think of people? Maybe spending time with good friends or surrounded by family? Do you think of reading a good book or listening to music? Do you think of sitting on a sunny beach, hearing the waves roll in? Sitting on a deck overlooking a forested mountain range, hearing birds chirp and a deer walking by? Sitting inside on a cold winter's day, wrapped in a blanket by the fire with a cup of hot cocoa or tea? In Austria, there's one particularly important word and concept that my wife and I just loved. The word is Gemütlichkeit. And the concept is one of coziness. It is the lighting of candles at, dinner, at the dinner table, the passing of time with friends over food and drink. It is a feeling of contentment in a warm, cozy setting. But we must not confuse the biblical concept of comfort with mere coziness. The biblical concept of comfort is far more robust far more transcendent than mere coziness. Biblical comfort has much more in common with a fortress than a fireplace. Biblical comfort has much more to do with a brace than a beach. Biblical comfort has more to do with a construction site than with chocolate cake. The Greek word here is periklesios. It is the act of emboldening another in belief or course of action. It's encouragement, exhortation, lifting of another's spirits. The words comfort and consolation are often used in our English translations. We derive the English word comfort from two Latin words, the prefix com, which means with or together, and another word fortis, which means strong, powerful, mighty, vigorous, firm, steadfast, courageous, brave, bold. This is the same root word which we use in the words fortify or fortress. So when Paul uses this word comfort, he's not thinking of coziness or gemütlichkeit. He is thinking more of building up the believer fortifying the believer, bracing the believer, making the believer strong. We are not comforted with mere good feelings. So much of our life is dedicated to good feelings. If it feels good, do it, is a common motto of our day. But when we are biblically comforted, we don't just get a good feeling. God is not just making us feel better about our afflictions all the while we are continuing to deteriorate. When we are comforted biblically, we are built up by God. We are made strong by God. We are fortified by God. He comforts us by building us up, making us strong, making us rigorous, making us courageous, and making us firm. As a teenager, I broke my arm while snowmobiling. I was with my uncle, who just so happened to be a doctor. He took me to his office, and he wrapped a cast around my arm. He actually said I didn't technically need a cast, but he had never put a cast on a nephew before, so go figure. But the cast did help. He did not merely give me a painkiller to make my arm feel better. He fortified my broken arm with a cast, making sure it was protected, making sure it would be made strong again. It strengthened my arm so that now it functions normally. My uncle did not just want the pain to go away He wanted to brace my arm so that it could be made firm yet again. Biblical comfort is comfort which builds us up, makes us strong, fortifies us. Paul says that God is the God of all comfort. If we are truly to be comforted and to be comforters, we need a biblical view of comfort. A biblical view of comfort is not the absence of affliction— A biblical view of comfort is the fortification of the believer in the midst of affliction. We see this in verse 4. Verse 4, Paul goes on to say, Who comforts us in all our affliction. In the midst of our affliction, God is comforting us. God is fortifying us, but to what end? We read on. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Paul has established that comfort comes from God, but God also uses means, God uses us to comfort others, to fortify others, to build others up in the midst of their affliction. What exactly is affliction? Affliction is used four times in this passage. It essentially means distress or oppression or tribulation as Jesus uses the word in John 16:33. It can refer or it refers even to inner turmoil in 2 Corinthians 7:5. Affliction has the connotation of being pressed down. Think of an apple cider press, which has that giant screw and the two handles, and you keep turning it and turning it and turning it, and the pieces of apple keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Paul uses this imagery in 2 Corinthians 4.8, where he says, we are afflicted in every way. The New International Version says, we are hard-pressed on every side. Do you feel that way? Do you feel hard pressed? Do you feel afflicted? I don't know how you can't. From finances to work to relationships to sickness and death to our own sin, our inner turmoil and persecution, our own inner turmoil and also persecution for professing Christ as Lord and Savior, we are pressed down people. We are afflicted in every way. But the Lord comforts us. He fortifies us. He does this so that we might be able to fortify others with the comfort we have received. So we see the circle. We are comforted by God, and we are comforted by others so that we might comfort Others, so that they might comfort others. We don't have to experience the exact same affliction as each other to comfort one another. Paul says we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Our financial status, our work status, our relational status, all of our afflictions prepare us to comfort others in all their afflictions no matter what those afflictions are. But in this passage, our affliction and comfort is closely related to Christ himself and salvation found in him. I see Christ's life, death, and resurrection as the ultimate in comfort, the ultimate in boldness, the ultimate in fortifying us against affliction. Let's continue reading in verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul starts to get a bit more specific with the type of affliction he's envisioning in this passage. He mentions both the affliction we feel when we realize our sin afflicted Christ and the affliction we feel when we proclaim Christ. What I mean is this. When we are convicted by the Holy Spirit of our sin, We feel afflicted by our sin. We are devastated by our rebellion against our Redeemer. We are pressed down under the weight of our wretchedness. We realize that we are the reason why Christ had to come as a baby in the manger, suffer through this life for 33 years in the flesh, be whipped, flogged, scourged, and then crucified on a Roman cross. When your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit, you see the death of Christ and you say, that was because of my sin. My rebellion put the Son of God on the cross. And that is a heavy burden and affliction. But through the suffering and death of Christ and his resurrection, we are saved. We are saved from the penalty of our sin. The affliction of condemnation is no more because of the affliction that Christ took in his life and death. Comfort is ours because Christ was raised from the dead, conquering sin and death, and he presently intercedes for us from the Father's right hand. The affliction of Christ is great comfort to those who are afflicted by their sin. But also Paul is explicitly talking about the affliction he faced when proclaiming the gospel. He goes on to say, If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Paul was greatly afflicted as a missionary. Paul recounts his affliction in more detail later in the, in the, uh, in the book. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. If you're quick, you can turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter eleven twenty three to 28. Paul says, starting in the middle of verse 23, that he has, In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Paul was an afflicted man. In all of Paul's affliction, he epitomized the purpose here for affliction. To be a comforter to others and to seek their salvation. You see, the last line in verse 28 Concern for all the churches. His concern was so great, he would often write letters. He would return to these churches on visits. He would send people like Titus and Timothy so that he could build the churches up, so that he could biblically comfort them. Paul was afflicted and comforted so that others would be comforted and saved through the gospel. The preacher, John Henry Jowett, once said, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. We are made stronger by the comfort of God and by the comfort we receive from one another. Paul experienced it, and Paul continues to strengthen us through his words today. But Paul also gives testimony of the further transforming power of affliction in verses 8 through 10. In verses 8 through 10, Paul gives testimony of the fact of his affliction, but also gives testimony of how his affliction actually caused him to place his trust in the Lord and not himself. This is our second point. We are afflicted so that our hope is in the Lord and not in ourselves. Let me read. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction which occurred in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who rescued us from so great a danger of death, and will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us. Paul knew affliction. He was greatly afflicted, as we have read. And what did this affliction produce in him? A trust in God. And why trust in God? Because God is trustworthy. We see God's trustworthiness and his faithfulness to Israel in, ex- in the Exodus from Egypt. But we see his trustworthiness and faithfulness to an even greater extent in the rising of Christ from the dead. Christ was greatly afflicted, but he trusted in God the Father. The apostles were greatly afflicted, but it was the resurrection of Christ that gave them hope. We celebrate the Lord's Day every Sunday in remembrance of God's trustworthiness and faithfulness in raising Christ from the dead. Do you feel despair today? Are you pressed down and feel like you are at the point of being broken? Are you thoroughly confused in life, frustrated, feeling like you cannot take any more affliction? Is your relationship with your husband or your wife or your children or your coworker or fellow church members so strained that you believe there is no hope? Does the loss of your family member or best friend bring waves of sorrow and grief? Does the financial strain that you feel threaten to cast your soul into further turmoil and despair? Does the constant pain and other physical maladies bring you to utter despair? Does your sinfulness discourage you to no end? Are you afflicted from without and from within? hope in the God who raises the dead. Remember the resurrection of Christ. Christ is our hope in life and death. I love the answer to the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. We repeated it often in our church in Vienna. The question goes, What is your only comfort in life and in death? This is the answer. It's a little long, but pay attention. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready From now on to live for him. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because he knew God was the God of the living and would raise his son from the dead. We too ought to exercise such faith. We belong to God if we believe in Christ our Savior. There is nothing that happens to us that our God has not designed for our good. Trust is him. Trust our great faithful father. If you trust Christ, you are his and nothing can happen to you that is not designed for your good. We will sing in a moment, I believe, the song, Christ our hope in life and death. And I think the second line perfectly encapsulates this point. What truth can calm the troubled Soul, God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known in our great redeemer's blood? Who holds our faith with fear when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trials, who sends the waves that bring us nigh. Unto the shore, the rock of Christ. When we are afflicted, it is pushing us to trust Christ more. So often when we face small trials, we only need to exercise little faith. But when great trials come, we need to exercise great faith. That trial that you face is God's tool to continue to shed you of your self-reliance and to fortify you with a strong reliance on Christ. And if you trust him, you are more likely to come to him in prayer. And this is the final point. We are afflicted in order to participate in the comfort of others primarily through earnest prayer. We are afflicted in order to participate in the comfort of others, primarily through earnest prayer. Let's read verse 11. You joining us and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. We come alongside each other. We comfort each other primarily through prayer. We are to pray for one another as we know each other's afflictions. How much more earnest do we pray for others in affliction when we have also suffered great affliction? Think about that. Think about a trial and affliction you had gone through. And then anytime you hear of somebody else going through that same affliction, doesn't that hit you a bit harder? Doesn't that cause you to cry out to God more earnestly? As we face great affliction, it makes us tender to the affliction of others. It brings a sort of fellowship. We are partners or sharers in affliction and comfort of others, as Paul said in verse 11. When should we pray for one another? Why not right when we hear about the affliction? I try not to say to people, I will pray for you. I will pray for you about that. I try to make it a practice to actually pray for the people as they tell me their affliction. Why not pray now? especially on a Sunday morning. Are you afflicted? Tell a brother or sister here. Ask them to pray for you now. Pray for someone. In this way, you are building them up. In this way, you are fortifying them. You are giving them courage to endure this affliction. You are comforting them I know I've experienced that when someone stops all they're doing and prays for me. Have you experienced that? But what does Paul expect from these prayers? In verse 11 he says, the favor of God. And what is the favor of God? Is it success in business? Is that affliction will go away? Is it the salvation of many? Can be, can be those. But I'm going to give you some bonus material. We're going into verse 12. We see what the favor of God is in verse 12, which says, "For our proud confidence. For, our proud confidence is this: the testimony of our conscience that, in holiness, and godly certainty, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially." you. The favor of God is us being able to live righteous lives. In life and death, in affliction and comfort, the favor of God is this, living righteously in this world among the world and believers. Isn't that amazing? Life's so simple. Note I did not say easy. No matter what is afflicting us, the favor of God is to live righteously. This ought to be our prayer for one another. Our brothers and sisters in our congregation and around the world are suffering great affliction. What ought to be our prayer? That they respond to these afflictions with godly living in the midst of the affliction. This is simple, but it is not easy. Pray that prayer for one another. Yes, do pray that conflict ends and relationships are reconciled. Pray that God will provide for our daily bread. Pray for physical healing. Pray for comfort in life and death. But pray earnestly for one another that in all these things we will conduct ourselves in holiness and godly sincerity. What afflicts you today? Really think about that. What afflicts you today? When I ask that question, some of you probably can't even hold on to one thought because there's so much affliction in your life. Some of you are tempted to just give up. Some of you are tempted to give up on your family Give up on your church. Give up on God. Give up on life. Paul knows how you feel, as expressed in this letter. But even more, our Savior knows how you feel. And He bids you to come to Him, you belong to Him. Remember what Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time Of our need. Set your eyes on Jesus. Remember that He came to save us. That is what Christmas is all about. Setting our eyes on on the Savior who came as a baby yet was crucified for our redemption. Your affliction will not be wasted. Your affliction is preparing you to comfort others. Your affliction is being prepared for the salvation of others. Your affliction is being used to set your hope fully on God. Let your affliction lead you to a greater, more earnest time of prayer for others. Go before the throne of grace with confidence. In the midst of your affliction, because of your affliction, and be comforted in Christ, our only true hope in life and death. Let us pray.